1: Radio City Talk, it's the Anfield and I am John Gibbons In for Atkinson, who's uh, losing all of his money in Atlantic City at the moment But we wish him well, he is back next week in full throttle, I am sure But tonight, most importantly, I'm joined by Mike Nevin I'm joined by Dan, Dan Send, And I'm joined by Simon Hughes All three authors we've just figured out um, in, the, in the lift on the way up And in fact, I had a little dabble a few years ago as well But I don't like to talk about it but, uh, We are going <laughs> to be talking about Cy Hughes' new book, On the Brink in part two and we are going to be looking forward to Liverpool away at Man City um, on Saturday in part three but first of all gentlemen I just want to talk about the international break and just talk about some of the stories that have come out of it specifically related to Liverpool and the first one Sai is obviously the Phil Coutinho stuff you've written an excellent piece for the independents in the week about giving the lowdown and the, and the dark secrets around the story and things just to kind of take us back to the start of the international window really and the images that came through of him running around very looking very good at his Brazil kit and then he doesn't start but he comes off to the bench scores a goal and do you think generally did you go to Liverpool fans were surprised by that was the was the surprise and anger or was it well this was always going to happen well,
2: uh, I mean, he, am I right? So did, he, did he play the game before the... the, the no, the, the, he played the game after, didn't he? After the transfer window had closed. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 in, in terms of detecting the mood, I, I just thought that people were, were just kind of relieved he was still there to, to, to some extent. I mean, you know, there was, uh, there's was there been a lot of kind of Mickey taking really of the situation rather than anger or, you know, why is he doing that? Um, I think... People are, are appreciative. Most people are appreciative of the the, the situation in terms of it. You know, nothing is always as it quite seems. Um, you know, I think there's been a feeling for the last month really that he, he probably wasn't really that injured. But I think it, the situation. Suited Liverpool as well, to be honest, because it gave them an opportunity. It gave Klopp, I think Klopp's actually managed the situation quite well over the last couple of weeks. Where he, you know it was a bit of a, ga- you know, he's kind of just well, He's not available, and he's you know he's obviously managed with the players that he that he's had. Um, I think Had Coutinho been playing through that period, it would have been a unwanted distraction uh, going into games and you know he's shown I mean don't get me wrong I think if Coutinho uh, a lot of people have been saying oh he, Liverpool don't need him now they just dismantled Arsenal 4-0 <laughs> but I mean I think you know, over the course of the season you'd rather have him than not um, but you know Klopp I think Klopp's managed to show that you know there's there a lot of other players at Liverpool and that there's a lot, of, a lot of promise about this team um, Whether he's whether he's there or not but ultimately you know I think I think all fans. I would be surprised if, if, if the majority of fans weren't happy that he's still there, despite all the the the, the dis- discourse about you know who's in the right, who's in the wrong. You know, with the player, what you know, I ag- just wanting to move the club, kind of not necessarily acting with full transparency. But there's all the you know, it's never it's never it's quite as it seems, and I, I think it's it's arrived at a, a kind of a a happy end really for Liverpool in some ways because. You know, you can't. Um, I don't think you can take everything as, as seriously. You know, when when people say oh, he's not going, he is got. You know, he is got. I think I think you've got to read between the lines in this situation a little bit.
1: Mike, you're obviously a, a cop season to get hold of a man with his finger on the pulse in terms of uh, Liverpool supporters' views, both kind of online and kind of in in uh, watering holes before the game. What how have you sensed the kind of the, the changing of, of attitudes towards uh, Phil Coutinho? Because I've been a little bit surprised, really, by kind of some of the levels of anger towards him when I thought I thought we'd all sort of got over that in a kind of... Not, in, in, I thought we were all a lot more cynical now. You know, post Taurus, I thought we, you yeah. know, we, we, we we kind of learned to accept things, whereas I've actually been quite surprised at some of the stuff I've seen. You know, um, you and you can look too much into social media, but some of them have been quite vitri- vitriolic.
0: Yeah, I think that's where you've seen most of the vitriol on social media, and that in itself feels a bit ephemeral you know it's it's sort of out there but it's you know they're just empty words and i think i mean i was the same as yourself i mean torres was the one that sort of yeah. broke my back in terms of the, the emotional attachment to players and you know and i, I was at a ripe old age even when that happened so but I, I suspect that most of the vitriol possibly comes from a younger genera- generation they've written a piece today sort of talking about people who are hypersensitive um to, to, to this kind of scenario um from people I've spoken to among my own age group, me my fellow matchgoers if you like, we're all fairly phlegmatic about it really. Um and I I've I've uh, on a few occasions, used the example of Wayne Rooney a few seasons ago, but yeah. um, maybe five, or six seasons before he eventually left United, he was agitating for a move to Manchester City, and Ferguson sort of knocked that one back. As soon as he got his first goal for United, it all was all was it well. It's it 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 fine, you know. Th- th- therein lies the rub with fans. Fans are fickle uh, in more ways than one, and that's just one example of that. And I, you know, the the, the word that's been uh, bandied around is reintegration, and I, I think people sort of overstate the case. I mean as Simon said there I mean Klopp's sort of handled it quite skillfully. he's not been sort of around the place um, interfering with Liverpool's start of the season which has been good Um, I mean on the field obviously the way that um Mo Salah has hit the ground running. And has sort of compensated for Coutinho in a, in a sort of a play and maybe a creative sense. Um, so his 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 absence hasn't been felt ac- acutely at all. But you know, he remains Liverpool's most uh, inspirational, uh, creative player. And you know, not everyone's going to set up like Arsenal. Um, and more typically those games like the one against Crystal Palace where we struggled really to break them down until yeah. the very end I mean those, those are the games that I think are still tailor made for Coutinho and for me he plays as big a part as ever um, not sure about the way fans will react but I think we're probably going to go on to um, to talk about that in a minute
1: OK we can do that I just I mean Dan Simon talked about how the how the managers dealt with the situation how well he's dealt with it he's also been very fair to the player and I think maybe fairer than he deserved really because he, he's come back and he's done an interview with the official site where he's he's still pushing this back problem thing and he's saying um, I know what people think but Phil did have a back problem a few weeks ago and couldn't trade um, we saw him on Thursday morning and thought okay maybe we should use him immediately because he was really good but that doesn't make sense uh, th- that was an interview on Thursday we've since learned from the press conference that he's ruling him out of this game and they're just going to Take three or four days maybe to kind of, you know, get him back get his fitness going again because no matter what you think about the back problem, he essentially hasn't played a lot of football.
3: No, he he said that he's three weeks behind Klopp. Yeah. And he made that joke about welcoming into the change rooms and said, Guys, we've got two new players, we've got Oxlade and we've got Phil. Yeah. You know, so he's laughing about it and Um, To be honest, I didn't understand a lot of the venom that was thrown towards Coutinho at the time. i seen one tweet that was getting a lot of attention saying, put him in the reserves and make him earn his way back in. I don't think that's a wise thing to do with Coutinho now. It might be good for his fitness, but as a way of punishing the guy, I don't think that's the right approach to take whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you want to punish him, just sell him. It's kind of my thing. You you either want him or you don't. This kind of in-between thing doesn't make sense
3: to me. No, and especially we've got two arguably world-class players Mane and himself you know we'd be absolutely foolish to not play him and Ronaldinho always hit the nail on the head uh, did you see the quotes where he said that it's a World Cup year yeah. coming up he's not yeah. going to not give his all for the football club so I've got absolutely no issues whatsoever it's just a shame well actually it's not that big a shame actually won't play Man City because it's the teams like like you said Crystal Palace and the West Broms that they sit every man behind the ball you need them to thread them passes through I think when we play against City tomorrow it won't be that, that big an issue not having them there The size the pitch is going to be huge, and you know, Wynaldum arguably can do some of them passes forward the way City are expansive and wide as they are.
1: Another guy who who made a lot of headlines over the last couple of weeks, size Ben Woodburn, he's now the Prince of Wales, I believe. (laughs) That's kind of what they call him. Jagen Klopp's been enjoying that one, and it's it's it, you, you're excited for him but also I'm sure the manager well he is he's trying to kind of temper excitement a little bit and, and suggesting look don't expect him to suddenly be starting against Man City because his luck goes so good for Wales I've got a couple more quotes here from Jürgen on him. he said there were so many stories in the past when very young boys showed up and later you didn't hear anything from them anymore uh, this will not happen to Ben there is a determination you sense in the manager and also kind of with those around the player itself that they're quite happy to take the time on this one
2: yeah I mean I, I think back to the game when he scored, on it, you know, against it was Leeds, wasn't it, in, yeah. in November? And Klopp, you know, was acutely aware, I think, of of the player's ability. I think, um, I mean, when, when I've spoken to people who've, who've coached him at the academy, uh, everybody just says about his temperaments He's just like nothing seems to phase him at all. And so, I wonder why the club's being a bit too cautious. Actually, I mean, I, I think you know the lad scores. You know, youngest goal scorer for Liverpool scored on his debut for Wales. Then he's, you know, you've got to give him a chance at some point. You know, the, the, this is, the, the, I'm not saying Man City. I mean, I, I would think the real start in the game at Leicester. Uh, yeah, those yeah. kind of milestones don't happen by accident. No, they do you know, o- only, would... only, like, players, special players, do that type of thing. Yeah, and, you and, know, and, come in and influence the game as well. Definitely. And, and Klopp gave him, you know, I think Klopp gave him the chance against Stoke, didn't he, when uh, uh, last season? And I know he didn't have the best, well, he actually had a Decent half. It was just the teens and particularly play that well on that day. But I think that reflects as well the confidence putting him in a, in an away game at Stoke. You know, it's not mm-hmm. not an easy environment to, to play in. So I, I would think that by the end of the season, he'll 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 have played a fair a fair number of games. I mean, I don't think he's going to be starting every game, but yeah. you know, I think he's in a position to, to make a, a, a contribution this season. Um, I just I've just been really the one thing that I've really been impressed with is the way he strikes the ball and passes the ball. He's just got that bit of. Mm-hmm. Spark about him, you know he does it, you know clinically. Like he scored a goal, didn't he, against uh, Bill Bowen in the the friendly? And I know it's a friendly match, but you know if 17 18 years old you know smacking it in from like 25 yards like the keeper just had no chance and i just think all the pointers are that he's going to he's going to get a ch- you know get a chance I, I think um trent is is obviously a headsman, but that's probably because of the position that he plays yeah. and obviously with climb but i I just see the two of them hopefully over the next couple of years playing lots of games and becoming you know, really, uh, really, kind of just, just in the team, you know, mo- or in the squad, and I'm, I'm coming off the bench. You know, most weeks.
1: The third one I want to talk about, guys, is uh, Alex oxley chamberlain because he he starts both games for England. And I know it's been tough for you to watch England since Roy Hodge and left. Mike and left a big uh, <laughs> uh, kind of void in your life, but I don't know if you. If you watched no, I love them. I love them. Now, it's just your release, not having the alex I mean, oxley chamberlain starts both games. He starts them in a kind of wide attacking midfield role do you see him getting much of a go there in Liverpool or do you see him playing deeper I mean because it's, it's got to say he wasn't great let's uh, kind of not dressed that up and people can can have quiet games and certainly can have them for England and we've seen plenty of players play well for Liverpool and not particularly perform well um, at the international stage certainly for England seems to stifle them and, and Henderson wasn't great either but, so I'm not worried about him but I guess what I'm saying is, where do you see him fitting in with Liverpool, based on where he's played with Arsenal and England this year? Do,
0: do, you, do you know what? I really don't know. Um, I, 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 without being critical of the signing, I, I find it quite a quite a curious one in, in in some ways. Unless you sort of see the obvious thing that he he gives you versatility and, and that he can play potentially in a front three. I mean, you know, obviously last year, last season we did suffer with injuries and the the, the game that Simon the mentioned there, uh, the Stoke City away game. I think we were down to. We didn't really have a recognised striker to to, to play. Um, we had a, we had a, he chose a strong bench in the end. Yeah, it was a been strong been bench been. for yeah. me. and came on and scored. But there will be there will be situations where injury, injuries do strike, where players can lose form. It's obviously a much heavier schedule for Liverpool this season, so I would imagine. I mean, I can I can sort of see him potentially playing as the right sided uh, player in the front three. Um, in the midfield I know he prefers sort of a central role doesn't he, um, yeah. to be perfectly honest I don't know enough about him as a player. Um, to sort of compare him to to the likes of Chan Henderson, Wijnaldum. What what, what I would say about the, those three is that um, none of them are sort of blessed with with any real pace. Yeah. And um, so you can potentially see him sort of driving forward through the centre of midfield. And occasionally, if Liverpool is trying to get it sides, you know, he, he might occupy occupy a central midfield role, uh, driving on from that. Much in the way that uh, Naby Keita um uh, 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 sort of shapes up. I and mean, he's yeah. quite explosive, running through the centre of the park. So I, I think that might be that might be um, Chamberlain's preferred position and you know whether he can sort of uh, maybe force his way ahead of someone like Gini Wijnaldum as the season wears on who, who knows
1: Dan it was, he, he's done an interview as well Oxley-Chamberlain with, with the official site Where he's talked about The power of Klopp And developing him As a, as a, as a player And as a man who's, who's studied European coaching For your excellent book The European Game you'll, you'll know all about Kind of Sometimes a player Can move somewhere And, and a coach can find Something in them that, that maybe they weren't Getting out of them And you sense that's what Both manager and player Are, are feeling in this situation Thanks for the plug. It's all right. <laughs> We're doing ten minutes on size so it's the best. Oh, thing that's do. Right. <laughs> yeah,
3: I think Klopp's looking at him and he sees how hard working he is first and foremost. As this kind of guy who's going to represent this Liverpool, I just press everything and don't stop. Um, and he's seen that and I haven't got any stats to back that up, but we've all seen the guy playing. He does work tirelessly. Um, one of his quotes you've you've actually mentioned it here, John, is that he's going to play a lot of positions and he's going to play a lot of football. And I'm kind of with Mike on this. I'm not sure what positions he is going to occupy. I do kind of see him as a centre mid going forward. Um, but going back as well to Woodburn he's kind of said the same quote there that we're not going to just throw him in and make him play first team football all the time let him play under 23 let him play youth football and let him play football and I like that approach sometimes you know we have we've actually really craved a player like that for years we did it with Owen and Fowler and they kind of got to 24, 25 and burnt out a bit Uh, Klopp's looking at the long term there which I appreciate with Woodburn but overall uh, the international break for Liverpool was quite positive wasn't it Salah scored uh, Mane scored as well yeah. And, the, yeah. and then the beauty from Robertson, which yeah. we're all seeing.
1: Yeah, of course. Okay. A huge thanks to the guys there for joining us in part one. When we come back in part two, we're going to be talking to Sai about his brand new book, On the Brink Don't Go Anywhere back on Radio City Talk this is the Ampeo Rap and I am John Gibbons hosting this weekend for Neil Atkinson and we've got Simon Hughes with us who's brought out a brand new book it's called On The Brink I've read it and I've listened to the uh, upteen um, interviews <laughs> with, you've done with uh, less important people was this building up to the big one was it? Yeah. You, wanted to, you wanted to warm up
2: this was the priority I have to, I've, got to, I've, got to, I've got to get you all the rap answers up. right here <laughs> I know. Yeah. um
1: I really enjoyed it it kind of wasn't what I was expecting sorry and I think I wonder whether other people might have the same perception as me so it would be good to, to kind of quash those is that I when I saw the, the title and the cover I thought it would be kind of a journey around the lower league of of a kind of football really whereas yeah. you're completely from top to bottom aren't you you speak to Premier League managers like Ian Klopp and Sean Dyche go and speak to Gary Neville, who's obviously played at the highest part of the game. But then you you are really kind of you know in the in the, in the lowest of leagues too. So it's almost like it, it seems to me it's trying to be a snapshot of of where football is at the at the northwest at the moment, from top to bottom.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I I have you know I did I did start my journalistic career covering non-league football. Um, you know, I did that for five years, unpaid as well. Uh, still, still rankles a little bit that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that's why he's so prolific now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I, th- I think if you look at football in the way it's covered, there's there's it's almost like there's there's non-league, there's the football league which has its own like show on Sky, non-league which doesn't which is on BT and it's like kind of in the corner, and then the Premier League and its own like Oasis at the top. And you know, I've realised, you know, through in writing this book. I mean, it's not—it's not really what I I set out to do at the beginning. And being honest, I wasn't quite sure where where it was going to lead me. But it just made me just realise, you know. By covering, you know, the top to the bottom, you know, Premier League to amateur level football, you know, lads playing footy in Liverpool on a Sunday, just how much, you know, the Premier League impacts the rest, you know. And I, there's a lot of football books that I've read, which are, you know, brilliant books, like historical books. There was one that I read um, about northeast football called Up There by Michael Walker, which which is a brilliant book and it's a historic, it's a historical look at the way things are. Mm. And I I just thought sometimes it's almost too late to write about it where you know if you, if you want to get people talking about something that's actually important yeah. you know I'd rather write about it now and put it in in, in, in one book and I think it's, it's more of a journalistic Book really, in some yeah. ways, it's not a history book or anything like that. You know, I've 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 put a lot of the journalism into it, if you like, and, and tried to get a few debating points. And um, I mean, it's it's the, the lot. The, sh- the, the I suppose the lot. The short answer is, it's it's a bit of a travel log, but it's not like kind of a you know, kind of a, a nice dreamy w- wander through non-league and saying how great non-league is. Yeah. It, it, it's quite it's quite critical of pretty much everything, really. Um, so I mean, I, I didn't set out. It's <laughs> I, did, I, I certainly didn't set out for it to be like I mean somebody uh, somebody did a review yesterday very nice review and he said it's not the most uplifting book of the year <laughs> but I never set out to do that it's just the way it was you know he's speaking to people and uh, giving them an opportunity to talk about things he might not always talk about and i have I've, I've an opportunity to, to put some context around the words as well and you, you just quite re- quickly realise how frustrated a lot of people in football are by the whole landscape and I think that this this was the other reason I just think the football society everything's changed so much in the last few years it's going in a direction that, that scares me actually and I think it scares a lot of people and I think that comes across in this book
1: It does it is. what also comes across is that, um, how much it's about the relationship between communities and their football teams and I think that's something that drives to me right the way through it and there's some really interesting examples in there of, of positives and negatives really so you start off with Carlisle which is as you will point out, people always forget in the northwest. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, it's kind of so far up, really. Um, but but about the what they what the football club did around the floods and stuff like that, and then it moves quite quickly to Barrow, which is a really interesting one because they've made the decision to train in Rochdale, and they've done that to attract players and because they think that's the best way to move forward. But it's almost taken the community, sorry, taken the football club out of the community there, and that kind of has a negative. And and they're aware of that, I'm sure. But it's it, they're they're in a kind of. Quanji was: well, Do we do what's best for the for the team on the pitch, and, and or do we do what's best for kind of you know keeping the, this football team here? And, and it feels to me like lots of football clubs throughout the northwest, and then presumably throughout the, throughout the England, are, are having those similar kind of quandaries, really, and those similar kind of debates with themselves. And another one, for example, is the the clubs who've moved stadiums outside of of, of where, they, where they're based and you talk about Everton nearly moving to Kirby and you talk about Bolton and well, where they've gone and the fact that they don't play in Bolton anymore and, and people at football clubs are constantly making these decisions that they think well what's best for us financially what's best for us in terms of in, in Barrows' case attracting players but we're losing stuff aren't we every time these kind of decisions are made that, that moves football clubs out
2: Yeah I mean I, I think the one thread throughout the book is the issue of geography and how that impacts on on the way people feel about the clubs that, that, they, uh, that they support and, and the success of those clubs. And as you said there, John, uh, there's a too many decisions, as far as I'm concerned, are made purely for financial, you know, well, it makes financial sense. It's like well, short term financial. Short term financial, financial sense. I mean, the Avinton the, the chapter was a. Uh, I mean, I, I found that fascinating. Speaking to Dave Kelly from from Keok, you know about about that whole episode when Everton nearly went to K- Kirby because, you know, they, they have they averted a potential you know disastrous situation for the club there. And I don't think that pressure group got enough credit really for the, for the work that they did at the time. And it was probably a lot a lot of it was because Hicks and Gillette were hogging the headla- headlines, and it, you know Everton were kind of quietly going about. And some it just proves to me just how like kind of how important supporters are of of the supporters, I think you know, the people are quite dismissive of supporters, you know, especially in this this age of you know angst on Twitter. But a lot that, that's unfair to a lot of support. A lot of supporters, you know, go to the match and, and don't go on Twitter and know you know the football club better than anybody else. I mean, this was, of course, you know, before really before the Twitter age as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that would have panned out had yeah. they had Twitter at the time. Because I think anybody who sees like a pressure group, like I suppose Blue Union or Keok or Spirits of Shine are a big gang of moaners you know really so that's what some people think there's like a sort yeah, of a, yeah. uh, a militancy almost yeah.
0: attached to them that uh, you know doesn't always prove popular and I, I mean I agree I'm a massive community and football just are intrinsically sort of linked. And, and I think what, what sort of historically driven the game and uh, the sport in this country to sense is tribalism, yeah. And the tribalism is linked to community and geography. And I think that's where Liverpool, as a, as a football club, to a degree, are wrestling with this this whole mix of the, the global support and the local support. And it's something that <laughs> seems ever more tense now Can I uh, than for a while. Just Sorry, step
3: Dan. in your life. I might say and say that it, when I was doing my book it was the complete opposite mm. that the clubs I were visiting actually sought to entrench themselves in the communities mm. that Odds I spoke to the heads of academy they would train kids out in the rain and the hail to make them tough like local Rotterdammers so the the, the fans empathise with that mm. and the same Athletic Bilbao they teach them about Basque history so the players have that pride mm. and it's just interesting you're saying how it's
2: business motivated mm. in, in North West England more than well I, I think it's quite interesting particularly at Liverpool because I think Liverpool as a football club do a lot of good in the community actually I do think that they, they, they've they got a good community project but I think even being honest I think they have, have in the Everton community manages their PR better mm. and I mean I've, I've had conversations with people at Liverpool where I've told them this you know that they, I think people running Liverpool think that they put all the, the PR through the club media you know through the, the website and the TV and unfortunately that just blends into the, the kind of the PR feel of the club whereas I think I've said this to you know I'm quite happy to say publicly you know that I've I've had discussions where I said you should be inviting journalists down to explain to them what you know what's going on and you know get a player down talking about these important issues there's, there's, that are going on. There's across. definitely a sense and and it's a
0: sense driven by what Simon's talking there that Everton are far more interested in, in, in community and maybe that they've got to do more about community because they're not because they are sort of more wedded to, to, yeah. to, to the local support. But if that's um, you know if that's some sort of a myth then Liverpool. Need to address eh?
1: it on the brink by Simon Hughes it's available to buy now we're going to do a little bit more on it after the break as well we're going to from a Liverpool point of view because obviously site spoke to Jürgen Klopp so I think that's really interesting to get that and also to, to also compare it a bit with Pep Guardiola in his time at Man City then obviously going to lead us on to the huge game between Manchester City and Liverpool this weekend but in the meantime this is the Anfield wrap on Radio City Talk don't go anywhere. Back on Radio City Talk, it's still John Gibbons hosting the Anfield Rap and I am joined by Simon Hughes, by Dan Fieldsend, and Mike Nevin. Should point out, we tried to sell everyone else's. Mike Nevin's wrote the premier book on eighty-five, eighty-six. Still, <laughs> still the only season where Liverpool won the double. Mike, and a really interesting team at, at time in Liverpool history as well. it
0: Certainly is. Yeah, a social history, the uh, history of a great season, underdocumented season. Yeah. Um, God knows where you can still get it. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's still knocking about on Amazon uh, on the march of Kenny's army. Yeah, I enjoy. It seems like a long time ago now I think it's been out about five years but uh, still fondly remembers. yeah what a season
1: what a season indeed I'm not going to push my book I will push <laughs> I will push tour player though uh, if you like what we do on the Anfield app don't forget we have a subscription service uh, on you can subscribe to it at theamphiowrap.com this weekend we'll be previewing the Man City game in full we'll be doing post-match reaction shows straight after there'll be deep analysis and all you could want from Liverpool fans who are there at the game so £5 a month you get absolutely loads and loads for your money so do check it out and if you don't like it after a month you can always cancel but people don't um, The book back to the book on the brink Simon and I want to talk about the Jürgen Klopp stuff because I think that leads us in nicely to the big game this weekend and you, you went and spoke to Jürgen you went and met him at Melwood and I think you were it's fair to say you were quite surprised about how open he was about how much he's learned about Premier League football and English football since he's been here
2: yeah he was he was really on, honest about like just how naive he was at the beginning really how how underprepared you know in many ways um you know he did reason I guess that the the when you, he said you know when you Bruce your Dortmund manager you know it's it's all your, it takes all your energies and focus so the idea that you're kind of thinking about what the clubs and teams and players are like in the Premier League yeah. you know Dortmund realistically aren't going to sign a Premier League player you know he said if you manage that's a club that size that's your focus and nothing else and I just think again it's a, a little bit of like kind of English Premier League arrogance that everybody knows what's going on in the Premier League I mean he, he told me a little anecdote which I thought was quite funny that when uh, he didn't realise that there were no games at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon televised in England and uh, he said one of the first weekends he was here he went home to Formby and uh, put they were playing on the Sunday or the Monday, I think. And he put the TV on and he was like, No footy on, what's going on? <laughs> so, so, so he phoned up, he said he phoned up Sky. Complaining, saying you must have given me the wrong package, and they said, "Oh no, no, no! You've got to get BT for the full package." Still didn't realise that it was no kickoff. So the next week he puts BT on the next time, <laughs> still no footy at three o'clock. Says so it took him like a, a full month to kind of realise there was no football. <laughs> on. You know, he's, he, I mean that, that doesn't pay him. You know, as 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 a, as you know, some people are. He's, he's obviously you know clued up with the job that he's doing. But I just think the you know the the way he is, he goes all in, doesn't he? You know, with with, with what he's doing and. I I think the um, the Liverpool job. He's slowly coming to terms with the with the Premier League. I mean, he was honest about that as well. I mean, he, he spoke he spoke at great length about the wind again, which I know annoys a lot of people. But you know, what, in the context of a book, he did go into a lot of detail about why this is relevant. He said because in in Germany. Um, you know he said well he said in in England in the first season there were six or seven teams which had grounds which were either by the sea or by you know a river which led to the sea he said in Germany there's not one so he said this has an impact on the way you prepare your team and the way the opposition you know prepares believe it or not and he said it was just something that he he was totally like kind of caught unawares and he said the problem is not when you talk about that it becomes always cloppy moaning about it he said it's not it's just me trying to explain you know the, the The challenge that I face, really, and so there was a lot of issues that he covered. You know, the winter break, all those kind of things. Spoke about Brexit. You know, finished the chapter talking about Brexit and his his shock at that, and um, you know why why he disagrees with it. And you know, there's a lot of reasons, kind of discussion there. I think
0: think there's stuff about the winds. I mean, whilst it's it's quite amusing, um, I think it's actually an an indication of of, uh, the way Klopp is perceived and, and very positively viewed. Because if Roy Hodgson had said something like that, he would have got terrible, terrible abuse, and it would have been brought up and you know among you know a, a litany of excuses for which Hodgson was famed. But um, I think the way that people sort of are quite beguiled by by that sort of innocence, mm. if you like, it's it's perceived totally different differently with him. But it it. When I was when I heard that, I, I thought you know I thought that's weird that because I mean he's come from Germany where they have to have a winter winter <laughs> break
2: um, because Surely of the because <laughs> so, 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 the
0: severity of the weather. But you know, it's
2: not for the severity of the weather. I mean, it's, it's uh, to actually give the players, players a rest. Players yeah. rest as well. Although yeah. you know they will have harsh you yeah. know harsh frost sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the weather here, it's
0: very English. Um, but yeah, still conditions versus windy conditions. Regardless, of temperature is a is, is a big thing in football, and mm. you know getting used to that. Obviously, was mm. something that was dear to his heart.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I just found him to be, I mean, a lot more serious, I think, than than people give him. You know, than people see him as. I mean, I think they just see him as this kind of maniac on the touchline, largely who suddenly when he goes into a press conference is in full charm mode. I don't think. I mean, I do sometimes think he, he manages the press conferences in a in a certain way, you know. mean I've noticed this just by watching him. You know, every single time he, he does an inter, his uh, first question comes in, whatever it is, he he, he uh, greets it with a laugh, you know. So it's like he just calms everybody down, you know, calms the probably calms the the journalists who are asking the questions down, even if they've had a you know a bad result. He does it. It's it's quite a, a strange little trait of his. But we, we didn't speak about that in the uh, in the interview. We probably should have asked him you why. You might not even
1: realize he does. So
2: you might know I might just be a total, you know, natural
0: reaction. I, mean, I, I, I that sort of tends to agree. I think there's two Klopp's really. I think there's the one for public consumption, and maybe the one that uh, Simon's quite nicely describing in there. That's got more of a serious side. And I, one other thing that sort of annoys me about the way, well, it, it, it annoys me the way Liverpool fans perceive him because I, th- I think Liverpool fans get loads of the narratives around Klopp wrong. And you know, one of the things that struck me recently was well, not struck me recently, but his his records in the transfer market with with, with Liverpool. Is absolutely spot on when you look yeah. at it. Um, and yet, that's not one of the things that he, he you know, it's not one of his fabled strengths. Um, mm. You know, there's a lot talk about, you know, his intense pre season as though no one else has a pre season um, and things like that. Um, and I, I just think that sometimes he's, he doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. And, and actually, the important stuff around mm. football management is underplayed in the in the
1: minds of, of a lot of supporters. I mean, there's interesting comparisons here down with, with Pep Guardiola because that's the manager that Jen Klopp's coming up against now Jürgen Klopp's obviously learned quite a lot about English football About he's, he's tried to learn and I think you've seen that in the different ways that Liverpool have played it's not necessarily it's not really that close to, to what he was doing at Dortmund, he favoured a four two three one at Dortmund, he's barely really looked at that at Liverpool and he's looked to get much more pace in. and the, the longer he's been here, the more pace has been important to him, which he, he senses is reacting to kind of what he's seen and what he's experienced. On the other hand, Pep Guardiola, publicly at least, sort of refuses to, even refuses to admit that there is a difference in, 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 in how he needs to play and he's, seems to be very consistent in how he wants to play the game and how he believes his team should play and if you, if you ask him about you know Changing, he, he he kind of bristles a little bit, and I think I've sensed from speaking to Manchester City fans they're maybe starting to get a little bit frustrated with him, and use words like stubborn. He used quite a lot, and I kind of wonder. I mean, this might be public pet might be different from private pep. private <laughs> 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 Why well, did I choose to take that on? And Dan, you know what I mean. You talk. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you throw me there with that fire <laughs> yeah um, so Guardiola he always talks about formations as just a rhythmic and he doesn't really care for them there's a telephone number so his whole way of looking at the game is positional play so whereas we're looking at it as in playing four at the back or three at the back he's just looking about overwhelming different parts of the pitch um, so that was his legacy he's kind of left in Germany which has been adopted by the national team and Klopp also had a legacy before then so he was all about the high press and the intensity which Germany also took on and so you're looking at these two these two guys who've had this huge influence in German football and I think when when they were over there and they came up against each other it was four all um obviously they've only played each other twice now since he's come over and Klopp's won one there so Klopp's got the other hand over Guardiola at the minute so I think it suits us the way Guardiola plays he's going to come well he's going to set up to control the ball to hem us back and we're playing at this huge pitch um that suits us to hit them on the break the only issue I've got is if we can kind of sustain you know keep David Silva keep him at bay and keep players like that sustained for a, enough length of time so we can hit them on the break you know that
0: collective defending that's the only worry I've got going into the game tomorrow and you know the, lots of echoes there in, in what Dan was describing as a way, the way the game can play out with last season's game which I think ended at 1-1 but could quite easily have been 5 all and mm, yeah. again a reflection of the, the two managers respective philosophies really Um I completely agree with Dan. Is the danger is that if the, if you if you do try to soak it up and, and and hit on the counter, City are good enough to open you up, and I think they, they did that quite a lot uh, in the game last season. and Liverpool sort of weathered the storm for a bit and then grew into the game and, and took on the ascendancy. Really, so um, I think there's potential for it to be another you know another four 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 or something like that tomorrow. It could quite easily be, but equally, um, you could you could you, you can make a case for the fact that City City if they get if they got a goal up. Then, you know, it's a, I think it becomes a different game if City get the first goal.
1: There's no Fulcatino Simon, we know that he's not going to play him. So, would you be looking for more or less the same team as started out against Arsenal? Um, Gomez, maybe to stay in for the greatest solidity? Um, in terms of the front six, it would be a bit of a surprise, I think, if he went for anything else, than what mm-hmm. he has been picking there. I think that's possibly the only positional change, really. Uh, and obviously, the goal. I think Minula will
2: probably come yeah. back in. Mm-hmm. carriers will start against uh, Severe, um, and i and I'm. Then- you know, you, you might see Gomez drop out and Trent come in. I think you'll see them exchanging. You know that they, they'll be they'll be coming in and coming out for different games over the course of the next few months. What well, what interests me is, I mean, I think that both teams really have, have kind of well. I think Liverpool have got better over the summer at what they're good at. Like you know, the, the pay you mentioned the pace in the team there now. I think I think Klopp it looks more like a Klopp team now. You know, the kind kind of team that he has at Dortmund, where you've got two really fast wide players who. You know, can absolutely destroy the opposition, and that's really exciting to watch. I mean, the pace in this Liverpool team—I haven't seen pace like it in, in 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 any Liverpool team in the last twenty-five years. I'll be honest, and that's yeah. really exciting. Um, on the flip side, you've got you've got City, where you know if you look at any other Guardiola teams when he was at Bayern and Barcelona, he a lot of a lot of his attacking intent and and um, strength was through the fullbacks. You know, the Messi got a lot of joy through the fullbacks opening up the space for him and I know he's got a lot of criticism hasn't he for spending God knows how much money on full backs this summer but it just shows just how how important he regards that position I mean whether he's he's nailed it in terms of the personality he's got mature because he didn't get his first choice in, in some of the signings so I think that, that from a City point of view might be a little bit concerning the right he spent loads of money but he didn't get his first choice players so you're kind of thinking well where does that leave them so but that said I, I think that you know the, the, it's an improvement on what they had last season so well, as, the, as the guys have said there I think it'll just be an open game it was notable clock before we was talking about you know sometimes we'll have to defend deep and sometimes we'll, I mean that concerns me a little bit the communication between Lovren and Matter both dropping at the same time going up you know what's Moreno how's Moreno going to react to this because he's he, doesn't seem to know where he's meant to be most of the time I mean I know he's, he started the season quite well but this is a big step up for him this game I think um, if you look at like the, the the big 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 games you know, particularly away matches he's he's played poorly at City in the past he's played poorly at United he's played poorly in the cup finals against City you know it's a big if, if Moreno needs to do a lot and play well in this game to convince a lot of people he, he is he is you know well made some there be improvements that the Klopp I mean, is claiming that, that, that he's made
0: that, that's one of the- the, the sort of big changes over pre-season and into early season that hasn't really been rationalised I don't think is that is the, the Milner is now a midfielder and you know my, my more sort of cautious instincts would, would, would probably be entertaining the idea of Milner playing at left back yeah. just because he gives you more solidity mm. um, I'm not I'm not sure what's yeah. changed other than the fact that
1: Liverpool have rehabilitated I mean, re- 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 Milner's th- had a word and said he doesn't want to be considered there anymore because that's the only reason I can think for it to be not looked at at all
0: Well this is what I mean by it. it's not been rationalised I yeah. don't think and it's not really been it's not really been sort of d- debated even uh, amongst the media that, that much has it and I don't know whether he's been God, has he, is, 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 has he, has he, he been grilled great. has he been grilled at all yeah, you know in press conference because yeah. I've certainly not heard it myself it's just been taken right, as yeah. read and I well, find that I find that strange because it's you know it's such a sudden a yeah. change isn't it yeah. really is,
3: and especially yeah, when right. we
2: played them last year he scored the pen he was brilliant mm. and they were booing him City but he was fantastic yeah, I mean it, it is it is odd because you know he, it was a pretty drastic decision to put him there last yeah. season he stayed there all season and then, you know, this season starts, I know Moreno had a couple of good pre season matches. I mean unfortunately, you know, I, I didn't cover any of the pre season. <laughs> I had to sum it off. So while that change was going on, I, I wasn't around to ask but he, he but, was but, excellent uh, against Bayern Munich
0: uh, B- uh, Bayern Munich Moreno wasn't he? That was the that yeah, was the, yeah. that was the way that like, there was like a, an apparent sea change. Yeah. But it's yeah. I, I still think it, it it demands some kind of explanation as to
2: You know um, what I, I, I will ask at my next Liverpool. Great, I'll I'll yeah, listen yeah. in. <laughs> I just need to be, you're, it, right, you're right it, though it yeah. hasn't been a, I think it's just because there's been so much else going there's on with been a the, lot
0: of, there's been yeah. other things to talk about yeah. but you know as someone who played and you know sort of occasionally captained the team last season um, Put
2: um,
0: you yourself. Yeah, that was last, night, that was last <laughs> night's dream after yeah. s- after, Simon, after Simon's book launch and uh, a, a few glasses. Yeah, that, that, that was my dream. It still is. Um,
1: are you are comparing yourself to Stephen Gerrard at one point as well, to be fair, Mike. <laughs> I've, I've got a better left foot than him. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, Dan, um, in terms of what you think Man City might do, he's he's looked to play three at the back in big games, but he's got an mm. issue around company who it doesn't look like he's, he's going to be fit it's, it's maybe touch and go there's there's conflicting reports on, on company either way it they, they didn't get a centre-half in which which kind of surprised most people because know how much money they spent it was one area where, where they weren't able to strengthen and I think they, they put all the they seemed to put all the eggs in the Johnny Evans basket and it didn't really happen so, so how do you see them kind of setting up in this game and, and how do you think how do you think Liverpool would want them to set up so, uh, my mate works for City. Oh, um,
3: I, I rang him and I asked him about it's this. Team news. Is this team news? Is this <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> real insight this. <laughs> totally
1: unofficial team
3: news, yeah, but he, he reckons that it's going to have to be Stones coming in. Company won't make it. Right. And I seen Stones and Otamendi play last year at the Monaco game. Do you remember it was something like 12, 11? It was just a mad score. Yeah. And they were just playing one twos together, then. They were all over the shop. So, I'm hoping more of the same Stones and Ot- Otamendi um, when we play them tomorrow. Walker comes back, doesn't he? Yeah. And I didn't know this, but Optor Adam is the the fastest player in the Premier League, which I I had no idea about with Walker. So it'll be interesting. I think that's why Moreno plays for us as well tomorrow, that pace, Mm. you know, because on the counter it's going to be scary, both teams. It'd be like that Benny Hill Twitter thing that was going (laughs) around, just back (laughs) and forth for 90 minutes for both teams. Um, Yeah, he said the weakness probably could be Fernandinho together so we've got we've got Henderson who's doing brilliantly in that whole midfield midfield role Fernandinho might be the weak link to get after them so he think,
1: did, does he think four to the back then or does he think three yeah, yeah four, free free. four free we'll free probably
3: free. match up the same in that sense
1: I mean I, you talk about a team like City, and they have got a lot of you've got a lot of strength side, but you do feel like we can get at them if we get mm. the opportunity, and that's what kind of excites you from a Liverpool point of view. And I'm with Mike. I think it was Mike earlier who said you yeah, it's dangerous if you, know, you you look to sit and counter too much because you know they're quick one twos. They seem to just get in the box and round the back a lot, but we can certainly hurt them as well, and that's what. Makes you positive going into this
2: game. Mm. I mean, City are a strange team in many ways, and there are there are parallels with Liverpool because, of, you know, the, the the threat is obvious that they have. You know, they've got some fantastic players, but it seems odd to be talking about you know such obvious weaknesses in a in a Guardiola team. You know, when you consider the amount of success that he's had, and I I just think with, with City, you know, you, if you look at the teams that have been successful, the teams that have won the Premier League, they've all been counterattacking teams. Never been a team that's won the Premier League based on possession football. That's a, that's a fact. Ferguson's teams, United. You know, even when, even when uh, was maybe, maybe, maybe City when when prepped us Yeah. they were a bit of a mix that season, yeah. weren't they? And, like when 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 Liverpool got as close as they did under Rodgers. You know, they they would they become a counterattacking team yeah. there. So. Just goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, there, John, about like you know the way Guardiola is. That if if they were to win the league playing that way, it, it would be you know a, a historical event, really, because even you look at the Wenger teams, like when when he was successful a long time ago, you know that, that was a that was a counter-attacking team with pace and power, and I know football's changed and like there's been a big you know kind of. Um, you know, cultural change in football and the way the games play, but in the Premier League, it's still, it's still that they are the teams that win the league. So he's gonna, he's got a lot to do. I think to, to do that, I think you know may, may, maybe you might, might get to the situ- situation where the, there are so many teams that play try and play possession football uh, eventually the best team that plays possession football will win it but the Premier League is not like that isn't it there's so no. many teams uh, that I play mean, the I other mean, way what, so what I, Simon's talking
0: about there is reflected in the possession statistics that you see in games that sometimes you, 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 you're absolutely baffled by because yeah, I but think but the Liverpool Arsenal. Arsenal was a class, classic case so I think it was was it did they have slightly more possession than yeah, Liverpool, yeah. and Liverpool wiped the floor with them? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then there's there's other results that have, have come to pass, like when we played Burnley last season, where they Burnley won the game comfortably two 0 scored two goal, good goals on the break. Liverpool had all of the ball, but created very, very little. Um, so when it does, I'm just agreeing with Simon. Basically,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Mike, it's always a comfortable stance.
2: There's
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> a debate, isn't it? Do you want the
3: ball? Yeah, you know, because a lot of teams are more dangerous without <laughs> it. Um, tomorrow, though, Mike, you get everything on you put your mortgage on both teams to score tomorrow it's going to be one of them isn't it
2: I I think of Liverpool I think of Mane and uh, Salah play well tomorrow Liverpool will win Hmm. That's just, it's a simple. I, I, really I mean, do what think what you said before about you know uh, the, the, the,
0: the, with... the most incredible pace that we've seen. I mean, it, it, you know, it's certainly. I mean, it's something I've written about today is that Liverpool's front three. And I think what's really surprised people is that when we when we bought Salah, there was a, a, an idea that he was going to be sort of a carbon copy of Mane either side of uh, yeah. uh, Firmino, and yeah. I mean, it turned out the more that we've seen him, he's actually a radically different player from yeah. from Sa- from Sadio Mane. And I think the fact that, but what that does, it gives you complementary things uh, ahead of Firmino. And I think it's that. I think. Brings for me, you know, even more into the equation, and it is sort of almost the um, all his gifts are so hard to describe, yeah. And yet, you sense you're going to get more and more out of him now because he's got this twin threat either side of him.
1: I mean, I almost feel like people aren't talking about Sadie Marnie enough, Dan So I'm going to do it now. He scored in every every league game so far this season. He seems to have kicked on even more from where he was last season, which looked like a kick on from his kind of Southampton form, really, and it's just absolutely it must be absolutely petrifying for defenders and you know we're talking about Man City's strengths and what they might be able to do but from a, from a you know if you're a City fan you must be looking at those guys and thinking well what do we do who do we mark because they're all scoring and I think you know we played three games and off from three have scored in every game sorry in two of those games full from three have all scored so it's, yeah. it's, it's it's very very difficult to know how you defend against them
3: the, the interchanging of positions brilliant sometimes you watch Firmino will drop and he'll pick the ball off Gomez and he'll be that deep and then the other guys will be on the halfway line in terms of Mane you know you think about players and sometimes when coaching kids I said this about Salah actually on a previous show uh, but Mane is he's more exceptional at this that there's two kinds of dribblers there's your Silva who's great with that short game and he can get out of tight situations and then there's another type of dribbler who's just pure pace and he's great with that long game but you look at Mane he's both you know, when when guys go and press him, he can triple through little gaps and he can also just absolutely stretch his legs and burn teams. So, he, actually, my mate, who I mentioned earlier, I said, who's the player you're scared of from us? And he said, Mane is absolutely yeah. incredible. You know, so, and it's funny, actually, when we saw Mane going back... When he was thirty-five million, a lot of people were saying that's a lot of money. Mm. But that window before he kicked the ball, he went from being thirty-five million being a lot, and then Pogba's coming in, yeah. and thirty-five million was a bit of a, a snip for Mani in the end. And now it's an absolute bargain. <laughs> the way football's gone, so he's, he's. I'd say we've got two world-class players, him and Coutinho. Um, looking forward to seeing how he fares on that big pitch tomorrow. Did he play at the Etihad last season, Mani? I can't remember. Um, mm. But with, with with so much. Uh, Pace I and think, I don't think he did.
1: Um, well. I don't remember, him but uh, no. that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't. I mean, we we'd probably had a drink, Mike Henry but uh... <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> probably John. <laughs> I wouldn't know. So, so I mean,
1: we just, we're, we're all very positive about, about about Liverpool's chances here. Sorry, what what the things do you think? Do you think before we finish what, what do they need to be careful of I'm thinking David Silva's playing really well for example you know he's you yeah. he, he just keep waiting for him to tail away as a footballer when I mean, it's not happening he's got a new haircut and everything
2: <laughs> yeah, well, obviously they've got world class players haven't they the, if you give them a sniff they'll, they'll score and punish it happens on numerous occasions against Man City over, over the last few years under various managements where you know, Liverpool have, have actually played well there, and, and and not ends up not winning the game. I mean, I know last season could have gone either way, but if, if Liverpool go away to City and create that number of chances, you know, clear opportunities, you expect them to win the game. And unfortunately, yeah. they didn't take those absolutely glaring opportunities. You know, open goal type misses. I think Lalana was one of them, wasn't it? And um, yeah. you know, you would expect the away teams to win. We haven't had those chances, but Liverpool didn't take them and were punished. You know, so you you do worry you know like Aguero so quick around the you know when he's got the ball around defenders feet and you know it's it's not lovens Particular strong points. He's the type of player that he struggles against. Lovren, uh, Aguero so whether he starts, of course, because I think Guardiola. I think that's a, that's another thing that Guardiola's got to, got to deal with at the moment. Yeah, it's quite clearly the relationship between him and yeah. Aguero's not really that that great. Um, he, he seems to fancy Jesus, um, who, who's you know another cracking player. I think he's going to be really good. I just I just think that Liverpool can um, if Liverpool play well going forwards. You know, I, I, I'd be pretty confident of them winning tomorrow because I actually think Liverpool defensively uh, are a bit more convincing than City. I don't think City get quite the amount of stick for the, the, the for the defending as, as as Liverpool do even though that the problems are just as deep.
1: Okay, quick predictions before we call in a night,
0: Mike. Um I'll go for Liverpool's win 3-2. Three, 3-2 two.
1: Three,
2: two, down. 2-1 <laughs> I'll go. 2-2.
1: I think 3-1 with the third coming in the 88th minutes after a nervy ten. <laughs> but, uh, but we shall see There's <laughs> a <bit. laughs> Listen, huge thanks to Mike Nevin. Uh, to Dan Fieldsend and to Simon Hughes. Do check out Sai's book on the brink and enjoy, but in the meantime, enjoy your weekend, enjoy your football, and that is being the Anfielder. Sports
0: Social Podcast Network.